Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. system, the volume of the occupancy space within your suit, the... Kira, bottom line. The bottom line is unless there's a change in your conditions in the next few minutes, you are likely going to drown. Drown? But the important thing is not to... I'm going to drown? In outer space? What kind of sense does that even make? Officer Eiffel, retain your composure. Remember price and carton number four. Conserve your... Gilbert, I may well be dying out here, but I'm not going to have one of the last things I hear be some crap from the survival manual. I've had enough dramatic irony for one day. Thank you. Listen, you need to stop yelling. Your breathing rate is too high for your current oxygen reserves. Right, 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 right. Yeah, okay. Limited oxygen. Gotta stay calm. Gotta stay calm, okay? No yelling. No yelling. Deep breaths. Deep breaths. Deep breaths. Deep breaths. Hira, time frame? Six minutes. With luck. What airlock is closest to Officer Eiffel's current position? Aztec number three. Begin spacewalk prep there. Dr. Hilbert, go down to the airlock. Connect two tethers together, then attach them to the restraint. That should be enough slack for me to reach him with my propulsion maneuvering unit. Is that your jetpack thingy? Yes, Eiffel, that's my jetpack thingy. Welcome to the good stuff. The Laugh Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm one of the hosts, the L Train. With me today is Mr. Two Frames. He's over there. How are you, sir? Doing well. Uh, what you heard at the beginning of the show is a clip from a podcast, believe it or don't, Wolf 359. It's a unique podcast reminiscent of the early dramas of the golden age of radio. We're going to review that podcast a little bit later on in the show, and uh, we're I'm going to play an interview with the uh, writer, producer, director of the show, Mr. Gabriel Urbina, and his uh, co-collaborators, Zach Valenti and Emma Sherzarko. I like that last name, <laughs> Sherzarko. Yeah. It, it rolls off the tongue. Yeah, she, that, that should be a character in a, like a, I don't know, an evil character. Sherzarko? Sherzarko. I don't know. It, it's a name fit for science fiction. Is it a name fit for an insurgency, maybe? <laughs> Ooh, I see what you're doing. Yeah. You like that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's called a segue. So let's travel for now. Let's travel together 200 years into the future, into the, the decaying dystopia of a walled-off Chicago with our review of Divergent 2, Insurgent. Mr. Two Frames. Yes. We introduced this movie last week on episode 27 of We Laugh, and uh, neither one of us was interested in seeing it at all. And yet, we decided, against our better judgment, to go anyway. Was that a good move? No. (laughs) No, I mean, I I wasn't looking forward to seeing this movie in theaters. I thought I would catch up with it on HBO, and unfortunately I woke up to a text message on Saturday morn. You woke up to a text message at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I checked my phone at 3 o'clock, yeah. Um, well, I had just finished watching The Spectacular Now. The Spectacular Now. Uh, starring the lead character in the movie. And I like that Spectacular Now, so I was like interested to see what, what more this girl could pull off. I liked Shailene Woodley. I thought she was good in The Departed. Or, she, um, The Descendants. She would have been good in this movie, too. Well, they don't give her anything to do. Exactly. Wait a minute. The Descendants. Was that that... uh... George Clooney film. Oh, really? Was she the daughter? Mm -hmm. She's the daughter in that film. Wow, she plays a very different role. Yeah. She has range. She is a quite talented actress. I think we're going to see a lot of... uh, Or a lot from her in the future once she makes her name well-known and makes some money on these insurgent movies. Well, I did see also the blue white bird in a blizzard. She was in that last year. Didn't make my list of top movies. I mean, it was whatever it was. I, you know, um, teenager coming of age story. Yeah. 
Uh, she did Fault in Our Stars, which I believe made uh, Mr. Lasky's top ten list. When oh. We did our review show. All right. So uh, she gets around. I like that she does a lot of films. Mm-hmm. And she seems to be trying to mix it up between doing big films like Insurgent and then the smaller indie stuff like uh, White Bird and A Blizzard. That's what I was just saying. So, yeah. yeah, I'm just saying I, I like that she does <laughs> okay. that. All right. Um, a lot of stars only seem to want to do big films. They don't want to do any of the smaller stuff and really show what they can do acting-wise. Right. So I give her credit for that. Um, in this movie, when she has something to do, she does it pretty well. But for a lot of this movie, she just kind of stands around and lets other people do all the talking. Well, what, who, who else is? What is this movie about? Who else? What, what's going on in this movie? Well, I guess, yeah, to back up, Insurgent is the sequel to last year's Divergent. Mm-hmm which is a fairly famous trilogy of teen novels mm-hmm. uh, featuring the trope of the dystopian future, yeah. and only the chosen one can save them. And so this film picks up with Beatrix Pryor having to confront her inner demons and continue the fight against the powerful alliance which threatens uh, to tear her society apart. Oh, that's pretty easy, that part. <laughs> I mean, that, that summary is easy to understand. All the rest of it is just convoluted and crazy. Oh, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of vocab you need to know for this movie. There are a lot of. And then it's like, why? <laughs> it's very. I think they confuse creating a bunch of jargon for your movie or your story uh, with the same thing as world building. There was some interesting world building going on a little bit, but. All right. So. Lay out this dystopia for us. There's some factions, supposedly, uh, based on personality type, right? Yeah, in the future, uh, when you come of age, you choose to uh, join one of four different groups. <laughs> what are the groups? <laughs> <laughs> we cannot remember. Anger, happy, no, slappy, you, sneezy. You're you're either like know, helper farmer, you helper are farmer the military guy. police. Amity, uh, that's... Destruction or something. Destructo. Yeah. You can be in charge of everything. Uh, You're the admin team. The erudite. And then there's a. And then there are the justices. Abagnation. Very I kept, nice. I kept thinking of uh, Frank Abagnale mm. from Catch Me If You Can. So you have to choose one of these four groups. They test you to see which one you'd be best for, but you still get to choose. And unfortunately for our female heroine, she is divergent. She is not one. She is She's 100% of all of those. Yeah, she can do it all. (laughs) So would that not make her 400% of something? She is the Leatherman tool of this society. (laughs) I didn't, I, this was an experiment for me because I didn't see the first movie and I knew nothing about it. I mean, I knew pretty much nothing about it except what you said in the We Laugh the week before. So I was thinking, hmm. Could I figure it out just going to this movie, sitting down and watching it, see if, you know, could I make sense of the world, you know? And it wasn't that difficult to catch up with, but it was, it was brutal, man. It was, it was pretty stupid. Like, she's got friends that chill out with her and hang out with her, and you're not really sure. Like, you find that one of them is a, is her brother, like in the middle of, I guess you would know all this going in, but maybe you don't. Because you find out something, there's people that have multiple names, depending but, on who sees them. But they're the least caring family. They're the only family that they have. If you've seen the first one, you know her parents die. If you don't remember that, they remind you of it within the first two minutes of this film. Uh-huh. So I'm not giving away anything. Well, yeah, do you really care about spoiling this? <laughs> I mean, we're not going to have a spoiler section, are we? No, no. All right, well, we'll try to avoid it just for anybody that yeah. might be interested in seeing it. But... but her brother's there. They don't really talk much. They don't seem to care about each other. <laughs> the, they realize they're different people. She's divergent. Didn't she shoot him? He, he's oh, a no, Leo right. or whatever. Right. <laughs> he's Frank Abagnale. Yeah. They're, they're star-crossed siblings. But it seems like he moves in and out of the various modes of personality types. I, I thought he was like... It's, quad polar or something. I, 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 it's bizarre. About 20 minutes in, he leaves. <laughs> and she's like, no, you can't up. go. He's like, well, I'm going to go. He's like, later. And they just continue on with the story. She doesn't yeah. seem sad like, or right. worried. Take right. it easy. Yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, so that part was just so bizarre. I mean, that, there were lots of things that were bizarre, but it's just like, okay, you could have set this up a little bit differently. I, I guess I shouldn't comment on what <laughs> I wish the movie could have been and just talk about what it is. I think her character could be more interesting. The problem is we focus so much on uh, her in the first movie and her journey and her change that now in the second movie, as this world expands, we have to expand onto other characters and find out their backstory and their motivations. <laughs> we spend a lot more time with Kate Winslet, the uh, villain of this film. We see her a lot more. We see a lot more of Tobias, and we find out stuff about his backstory and what his motivations mm-hmm. are. So even though this movie stars Shiley Woodley, she just stands around a lot. Well, um, She looked sad. It's the same problem that Catching Fire had uh, with the Jennifer Lawrence character. She didn't do much in that film. Which which Catching Fire was the second Hunger Games film. I, I did see that. I said I didn't see it last week, but I remember I did see it because it, the ending of it, which is just a you know a placeholder, angered a lot of people. But it was one shot from that year that it came out that I kind of enjoyed. I kind of like seeing that acting that goes on in her face, and I think everything's better with Lawrence anyway. But <laughs> yeah, this, she, mo- this movie could have had a little Lawrence in it. <laughs> I would have liked it a little bit better. Well, doesn't this film feel like it's just copying Hunger Games? And the problem with Hunger Games is it's already a copy of Battle Royale. A famous Japanese story. Well, so when you make a photocopy of a photocopy, everything starts to get blurry and fuzzy. I think there is a little bit extra going on. I mean, it might be overworked, (laughs) like, you know, bad, like heavy dough and a pizza. Like, if you overwork the dough, it won't rise or something. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of what happened here. And maybe with the original source material. But there is, um, I'm not sure if in the Hunger Games there was a character that's similar to the character that I enjoyed most in the film. Hey, look, a rainbow. It's pretty. (laughs) Virtual pathological friendliness with unquestioned pacifism. I love this place. Thank you. Go with happiness. Oops, oops, excuse me. Hey, Tris, I really like your hair, by the way. Did you try to cut it all short and weird like that? Why don't you take your food and sit down, huh? Or what? Besides, I think we should all stick together now that we're all officially fugitives. All right, so Patton Oswalt says, anybody can crap on any kind of movie, but the people that are making the movie think that they're doing a good job. And there's a whole lot of people that are doing the best that they can, and they're trying to create something. And there's there's something glorious about that. So I kind of want to be able to take anything anything I can that's good out of the movie and and talk about it. And I think it's this Miles Teller character. It, maybe not the character as much as the acting. And he's not in it nearly enough. Yeah, and he plays um, the classic, is he a good guy, is he a bad guy role. He, right. he switches allegiances. Uh, he does that in Divergent in the same way. Yeah, you're never really sure what his motivations are. You're not sure if you should root for him or not, and that makes it interesting. Well, you couldn't have had the crucifixion of the Christ without Jesus or Judas, <laughs> without Jesus either, but without Judas. So he plays that Judas Peter. And his name is Peter. He reminds me of a young John Cusack, and I wasn't really, you know, I didn't know, I hadn't seen any movie that he'd ever been in until I saw Whiplash. I was like, who's this guy? He's come out of nowhere. Apparently, he'd been in uh, quite a few things including Divergent and some other stuff. And everything I've seen him in since convinces me that he'll be a, one of our better actors going into the future. He can do the light I like comedy. Him. I like watching him. I, I don't know if he could carry a movie that is completely a comedy. When he has little comedic bits to do in a movie, he can do that He just comes fine. across as likable. Yeah. So, I, And he comes across as a likable jerk, which is hard to do. He the, can, the rogue. Yeah, he he can do that. No, I, I like him. And like I said, also, his character, you're not always quite sure about it. It creates some tension when he shows up. But no, I mean, I guess this whole movie lacks a lot of tension. There are no real stakes at, uh, going on in this film. Seems like there should be. Um, it seems like they're working really hard to, to get the, that revved up, and it just never well, takes. The, the villain's master plan is to open a box. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and she doesn't even know what's in it. No. But. I, I think she knows it's a message. Yeah, it, it's something. 
it's a classic MacGuffin. Well, no, I guess it's, there's a payoff in the third and fourth movie that's coming up. Hopefully. Did um, you know, without um, watching Divergent or without doing any research, that this was set in Chicago? Oh, that's supposed to be Chicago? Yeah. It's, it's a modern Chicago, you know, uh, 200 years in the future. More modern than modern. Postmodern. I guess apocalyptic. It, it felt a little bit like Walking Dead, and maybe Walking Dead City was Chicago when it too. started, yeah. But I don't, it, that was incidental to the, to the rest of the movie. What's really weird is why is it, they never really get into why it's walled off. No, and you Until only the very see, end. you only see one side of the city, right. and that's where the wall is. Right. You, you don't see how they're fully encompassed, how this thing surrounds them completely. I don't know if they tried to stay away from that because then they draw too many comparisons to the Maze Runner, another and is teen dystopian. Is that the same dystopian. kind of thing that lock them into location? I, yeah, they they start off in this big field, I, and there are walls all the way around. All right. I was surprised that, well, no, this wall encompasses the entire city, though. You can't see, you probably couldn't see from end to end of a city anyway, except I'm, these walls are gigantic. Do you know how big this place was? I mean, they get on Chicago? this train. But no, they get on this train, and sometimes it seems like they're out in the woods, and yeah, then they're the back thing. in the they, city. You're not real sure what's going on. She's in the, there's in the zones according to the various personality types, and they're in... One of the zones, I don't know, uh, the truthful or something. <laughs> Doesn't matter. And she decides that she's going to go into the castle, you know, cross the threshold, mm-hmm. and confront the White Witch. Um, and she leaves that morning, and winds up there like mid-afternoon, right? Yeah. I don't know if you've ever walked anywhere in any kind of city, but... I mean, even if you go four miles an hour, that's going to be tough to get through. And she's climbing over rubble and stuff. So it seems, I don't know, just kind of ridiculous. She's going to take off walking. I agree. Um, it took them two weeks to get from Selma to Montgomery. Again, I agree. They show some shots of the city, and you see that the headquarters is a nice building. Well, that's a, that's supposedly uh, the Sears Tower or something. It's some landmark. Yeah, but it's not in, in ruins like all the other towers. But when they go to the people who are good judges of character, they're in a building, and that building's in great shape. Yeah, air conditioning. Later on, people repel from other buildings onto the judge's building, and all those surrounding buildings are in good shape. And yeah. I'm like, where did these come from? I, I just I was never sure of the geography of yeah. the place. Well, because they they don't. It's too fantastical. It's, it's it it would be too much to try to explain. So they don't even try to explain it. Which is where Building I like um, what was it? Hunger Games. They go, yeah, here's a little settlement, and when they need a new location, they get on the train, and it takes them far away. The monorail. There, nothing has to connect. Right. Yeah. It's, so. Not like that in this movie. No. This movie's a lesser version of Hunger Games, a movie which I don't like. Because it's a copy of Battle Royale. Actually, I kind of like the first Hunger Games. I didn't like the second Hunger Games except for the very last shot. And then that was the last I saw of it. I don't think I'm going to go see Allegiant or Allegiant 2. I'm going to split up the final trilogy into two different movies. You're going to make me go see Star Wars, but you won't watch these two upcoming films? Oh, Okay. Uh, yeah, I am. Do you, you think that the, this, the upcup, the Allegiant uh, duo of movies coming up next year is going to be the equivalent of Star Wars? Do you really think that? It's going to be hard to tell which Come one. Come on. I... You're so ridiculous. You and your hate for Star Wars. If if, if you didn't have those two crappy roommates. Three. And, <laughs> all right. <laughs> You wouldn't be stuck on this. You wouldn't be stuck in this stubborn mindset. And and to, to cling on to it shows a lack of... The of, funny thing is they tried to force me to watch Star Wars using many of the same techniques you're using now. Yeah, but you're just clinging on to like a sea anemone. And it doesn't matter because the wave is going to keep crashing down. And if you're, we have a podcast and we don't go see Star Wars, 
we we can consider ourselves to be hacked. We'll see what happens. The Plus, movie. I already went and saw Cinderella, and so you have to go see Star Wars. That that, that wasn't the deal. Yeah, I thought you now. cashed it in when you said, "Here, let's go watch uh, uh, whatever this movie is." Uh, <laughs> Insurgent. I wanted to say Diver. <laughs> what should, what would be a better movie is uh, Detergent. Have a bunch of these kids running around cleaning stuff up. They should clean up their messes. I thought there actually was a movie called Detergent. There should be. Where there isn't, there should be. An actual laundry works for the mob, and they have to clean the dirty money. <laughs> they actually have to clean it. They have to clean the blood off of it. Yeah, something like that. All right. All right. So there you go. So, so don't go see uh, Insurgent unless you want to mm, look at about a good five-minute performance by Miles Teller. Now then, if you don't agree with us, and we've had some people write in to the show, Ooh. Um, and they have a slightly different take. Uh, Ashlyn H. wrote in, and she said, Insurgent was action-packed and thrilling, with a little romance. It kept me on the edge of my seat, even though I've already read it. Huh. Uh, Maddie R. wrote in, and she said, it was pretty good, except it got a little boring towards the end. It was a lot of endless war. And finally, we had Chloe write into us, and she said, I went and saw Insurgent on Friday with my friends. I've already read the book series, and there are a lot of things the movie changed and took out. Um, I did not like the changes they made, and I wanted it to be the same as the book. Thanks, ladies, for writing into the show. Once again, those were reviews from Ashlyn H., Maddie R., and Chloe P. Very good. They must have liked it, some of them. Yeah, I, I like yeah. when people write in and have a differing opinion than uh, our own. Guess it's not geared towards uh, middle-aged men. <laughs> this movie, probably not. I, I think they went after that teen demographic, and I think this is a movie that's going to appeal to teenagers. It did pretty well at the box office, so. So if it's in your wheelhouse, go to it with happiness. Ah, there you go. Now so, then, what if I'm looking for I don't know something kind of science fictiony in a podcast? Any ideas what I could go listen to? It's a little bit more adult, maybe. Yeah. A little bit different. Um, well, you can check out Wolf 359. This mm-hmm. is a modern uh, amalgamation of comedy, suspense, and science fiction. It operates as theater of the mind. It's in serial form. It's the brainchild of Gabrielle Urbina, New York-based writer and filmmaker, and is co-produced with uh, Zach Valenti, who voices uh, Douglas Eiffel. The communications officer above the USS Hephaestus Research Station. This is a research station in orbit around the Red Star Dwarf Wolf 359. He and uh, other members of the crew are on an obscure scientific research uh, survey mission 7.8 light years away from Earth. And uh, Mr. Valente also voices the Russian science officer of Hilbert. And um, there's a mission chief named Minkowski, played by Emma Scherzarko. She's the tough-as-nails, take-no-nonsense uh, military gal. Mm-hmm. The commander type. Another key character is played by Michaela Sui as a malfunctioning AI, and her name is Hera. According to the website, the podcast is one part spacefaring adventure, one part character drama, and one part absurdist sitcom. Um, the show's dramatic tension is elevated by another key contributor, composer Alan Rohde, who writes and performs a musical score for each episode. The clip that we played at the beginning of the show showcases the individual talents of this uh, team of artists, and it highlights uh, the show's energetic synergy. And Mr. Two Frames, what justification can you give for highlighting a serial podcast on the Laugh Podcast. Uh, does a radio slash podcast qualify as literature? I would say yes, this does qualify as literature. Now, my definition of literature is pretty broad. I mean, to me, it's anytime you're telling a story, and they're definitely telling a story, and they're using audio. Uh, in movies, we see this all the time. And we definitely think that those are literature. That's why we're doing this podcast. The difference is when you do something on film, you can back it up visually. You can show uh, your reader, your listener, your watcher, whatever you want to call your audience. You can show them things uh, through characters' actions, through shot types, 
uh, through the background, all sorts of ways. With radio theater, you're really limiting yourself. You only have sound to work with, and you have to create everything. They're not actually recording this in a space station. They have to create the feel, and I think they do that well. There are lots of echoes, uh, metallic clangs on the show, so you do feel like you're inhabiting the space of a spaceship. As literature, yeah, they're telling the story. I really like that. Last year, I highlighted a documentary, I Know That Voice, which is all about voice acting, and I thought that that was wonderful. Mm-hmm. If you go and watch it, lots of people are talking about the craft of creating character with their voice. There's a section where a woman literally grows her voice from a tiny, maybe two- or three-year-old child all the way up to about a 10- or 12-year-old. And you can hear the voice growing as she's going through the progression. And it's wonderful. I love that art. And a lot of times you don't get to appreciate it as much with a movie or even an animated movie because you're paying so much attention with your eyes. With this, you have to pay attention with your ears and you have to let your imagination take over, much like you do with a novel. So do you create the world in your mind as you're listening to the to Wolf 359? Oh, definitely. It's very similar to when I read a book. Um, knowing that... Nick Valenti plays two different characters at once. They look differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so. they, they definitely look different. They feel different. I find myself trying to catch moments where he's falling out of a character. You know, where you can tell... Where Valenti one falls part, out of one character Yeah, where another. you can tell he's playing two different parts, and I feel that that part is seamless, that it does feel like two completely separate characters. If I didn't know better, I would think they had two different voice actors mm-hmm. doing those parts. Yeah, so the the voice control of these actors does create that um, illusion that you generate. I, I listen to this while I, walk, while I walk my dogs, as I listen to most of my podcasts. And uh, the echoes that you talked about, the, the various sound effects, the various things that are going on inside of the, the research station help to create these walls that um, you can then build in your mind and then the sounds bounce off of those walls. I kind of like the way that they use the voice of Hera and they've given her some like verbal tics to make her seem you know, slightly malfunctioning, slightly off, but a little bit more human. So that makes the uh, that sort of journey kind of interesting. I also like that they've developed a whole lot of themes they're they're going in a lot of different directions, and it seems like they can head in a lot of different directions, depending on where they want to go with the show. We uh, had the opportunity to interview these guys, Mr. Urbina, and two stars of the show, Nick Valente and Emma Scherzarko. So we'd like to play that interview for you now. Mr. Urbina. Hi. How are you, sir? Excellent. How are you guys? Congratulations on your success with the with Wolf 359 so far. Thank you very much. Maybe it would help our listeners if you guys could introduce yourselves and tell us who you play on the show. Hi, my name is Gabriel Urbina. I am the creator and writer and producer of Wolf 359. Hey, what's up? I'm Zach Valenti. I am the co-producer and the resident Eiffel and Hilbert, uh, two of the characters, um, as a uh, voiceover actor. Hi, uh, this is Emma Scherzarko, and I play the role of Minkowski. Um, when I first contacted you, um, I mentioned to you how your show produces a sort of a nostalgic feeling for me, uh, which harkens back to my childhood. Um, can you tell us uh, your inspirations and what drew you to write and produce this show in the first place? Sure. Um I grew up listening to a lot of audio dramas from, like, the golden age of radio back when I was little. I was a big fan of shows like Escape and Suspense and Quiet Please and a lot of things that nobody except weird retro freaks like me listens to anymore. (laughs) And so there was always something in the back of my mind where I always really loved the medium of the radio drama and I always really loved doing things that were completely audio. So there was always kind of this yearning in the back of my mind to one day try to write something like that. Um, and 
it just sort of came about one day that I finally found an idea when this weird guy who was stuck in a space station listening to a radio day in and day out, he just kind of came into my head fully formed. And after he wouldn't leave after like three days, it kind of stabbed to me just kind of like, okay, maybe this is the time to try to actually do something in radio. This seems like a good character to try to develop and to try to do something with the medium. How long ago was that? That was... I actually remember, because I made a post about it on Facebook, that was March 6th of last year. And then you hooked up with um, with Zach, I think I read in an article in the Wesleyan uh, online, because you guys are all graduates of Wesleyan, right? You guys have done your research, wow. Yes. yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you have an interesting show, and I wanted to make sure that we gave you as much credit as you're due. So you you met up with Zach, and then he sort of inspired you to continue to work? Zach kind of gave us the push to actually produce it. Like, you know, there's all these things that I kind of have in the back of my mind that are like, oh, one day I'll sit down and I'll write this. Oh, one day I'll sit down and, like, try to produce this thing. And Wolf 359 probably wouldn't have made it out of the notebook if Zach hadn't been curious enough to hear what the story was. And then as soon as he heard it, to kind of push me into actually making it, into kind of putting the money where the mouth was. So you guys kind of co-write it together? Um, that would be a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the main writer. Zach co-produces things with me, which means that he has a hand in all the creative decisions. And he's been very instrumental in the architecture of the show and in deciding where things go. Um but all of season one, all the words themselves were written by me. And now in season two, we're starting to bring in some new writers. So co-writing is not the right word, but he's always kind of been the co-architect of the show. And uh, if you do want to see an episode that I wrote, uh, Our Spacesuits Itchy is a, a more or less original that we, we co-wrote. Oh, I, that's one of my favorite shows. I like the... Uh... The setup of that, because uh, Ryan and I are both school teachers, so oh, cool. <laughs> we can imagine what that would feel like. Is this, you know, from the perspective of trying to put together those questions to send off to an astronaut? That's kind of interesting. Totally. <laughs> um, you said a, a lot of your influences uh, are from the golden age of science fiction and from radio theater. Are you pulling from any more modern science fiction? Uh, is like Wolf 359 a reference to Star Trek by chance? It is not. That is one of those things. Star Trek is one of my massive blind spots when it comes to science fiction writing. And that was one of those things where I think it was something like 36 hours before the first episode premiered. I mentioned that I was doing this to a friend of mine. And as soon as he heard Wolf 359, his eyes lit up and he was like, Oh, are you doing this because of a Star Trek reference? And I had no idea that not only was it part of the Star Trek mythos, but it was a huge part of it. Um, and so that's kind of been like an ongoing thing where we kind of were playing in the Star Trek playground without having any idea that we were until right before the first episode premiered. Well, there is a uh, great deal of science, like real science that fits into it. So Wolf 359 is a real dwarf star, right? It is. It's... As is painfully difficult to explain to friends and family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's, if I remember correctly, it's the fourth closest star to the sun. Um, there was, around the time that the show was being created, I read a few articles about how these kinds of stars are the most likely places to find alien life, according to a lot of modern astronomers. So... Those were kind of the things that led me to choose that star for the setting. And then later on, it turned out that it had also been chosen by a lot of other people to be the setting for their shows and their stories. Uh, so it's a nice, happy coincidence. Yeah. Happy is to be debatable. Yeah. The, no, I... The reddits of the world might disagree, but... I think that it's... I take nothing but pride to be put in conversation <laughs> with these other shows. And I think that I am very, very happy to keep on a tradition of using the star that a lot of much better and much more seminal writers than us have done before. So sure. I'm happy about it. I think it's a nice cosmic coincidence. Sure. Have you found other coincidences or as you're planning future episodes and you go, wow, 
we really hinted at that or we set that up in season one without even thinking about it. But now, you know, the stars are aligning. As far as, I mean, and I would defer to Gabrielle on this, but one of the things I'm most proud about in the show is, is how, uh, strategic we've been in plotting things out. Like there are a lot of cool payoffs for people who choose to stick with us. Um, that is like one of the favorite things personally in, in shows that I love. Um, so it's been cool to be able to, to sort of construct that for, uh, for our audience. With that said, Almost any time that something cool like that happens, it happens retroactively. <laughs> um, most of the time, I'm not kind of thinking, oh, I'll mention this, you know, errant canon in this episode, and then seven episodes later, I'll mine that for this one thing. Most of the time, what really happens is that when I'm writing later episodes, I kind of sit down and look back at earlier episodes and kind of think about, like, little details that were mentioned or little things that weren't paid off. And sometimes the stars really do align where I kind of go like, oh, hang on a second. Maybe that little speech that a character gave wasn't just some offhanded comment. Maybe that can be used for something earlier. Um, I remember when I was writing the season finale, there's a moment, the first season finale, there's a moment when the fact that Hero was talking about all these programming loopholes and the fact that she has access to these freezing gases in an episode three installments prior, all of a sudden that was like, oh, hang on a second, now this can be a part of this plot. But it wasn't intended as that when it was written earlier. Like, it's always kind of me looking backwards and plotting things in accordance to what came before rather than long-term planning. So do you have sort of an idea of where you want to end up? Like, is there an end game or... No, you don't have to... I don't want you to reveal anything or spoil anything, but... I was wondering if you you want to have a certain point where you end up at the end of each season and then do you have a plan for a number of seasons or like do you have an arc in mind or are you just sort of letting it happen? As much as possible, we're trying to have it both ways where I have a very, very vague sense of what I want the end of the show to be. I have a general idea of what the major arcs are for the plot and for each of the characters. And right now I have a final moment of season two that I'm working towards. Beyond that, I'm really striving to, as much as possible, let the currents of the show shape themselves and kind of go where the show takes me rather than having a, like, super, super detailed outline that leaves no room for adaptment and for adaptation. Um, it's kind of a, we know what the guiding light at the end of the tunnel is, but how we get there is very much still being made up as we go along. Yeah, it's, it's kind of the thing where we had a clearer idea of what we wanted to do with Season 3 before we started Season 2, and, uh, and so a little bit of it is that sort of reverse engineering from those points that we would like to get to, um, but without ever being so overbearing with our planning that we can't, you know, have like a sort of fun episode in the middle of a season. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, it's like stra straddling that balance between controlling too much and not planning enough. You, you start off the show doing those daily logs. And that was your plot device for framing the narrative. You've since moved away from that. Um, I, I guess you're still exploring what works in the show and what doesn't. Uh, how do you make those valuations? I mean, I guess I could see this show starting to do uh, prequels and going back so we see more of how this crew came together and seeing more of their evil boss. <laughs> Get out of our collective brains. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's fun because... The original concept for the show was a one-man show. Like, the idea was you would only ever hear what Eiffel says to the logs. And you'd kind of hear about these other people on the station and never actually see them. Which is why the idea of doing it as this audio diary came about. Because it was kind of like, oh, here's this perfect excuse for this character to be talking by himself week mm -hmm. after week after week. 
And then, very early on, when we were writing episode one, Zach kind of convinced me that the show would be much, much better if we actually had the other characters there to play around with. And that was absolutely the right call to do. But after a while, it was just kind of, at the end of the first season, I remember as a writer really straining to like, okay, what's the new excuse for Eiffel to kind of start a log and then have him take the recorder somewhere else? As the show started to change and focus a little bit from like this one guy's perspective to what happens to this entire crew and to all of these people on the station. So it's kind of one of those things where I think that with each season, we're going to have to like reevaluate and kind of go like, okay, what are the conventions that are dominating the show? What are the devices that are framing the story and how much of those things are servicing the story that we need to tell right now? What are the things that, are still working for that? What are the things that need adjustment? And what are the things that need to just be abandoned in favor of something different? So we're working to adapt that particular convention to kind of like the broader scope of the show now and trying to find other ways to attack this particular set of characters and particular set of situations than just this one guy's diary. Well, you've built a lot of that into the show with the, with the tone and the, the variety of tone and there's, enough um science in it to you know appeal to that sort of element there's enough drama in it to um appeal to people who sort of like that sort of human exchange and there's a lot of suspense and of course there's the humor i mentioned um i think in one of my notes to you how i laughed out loud often <laughs> at various times so i i kind of i kind of like the way that uh, the show has that variety of tones that you can build on, and then there's so many other little themes going on throughout that make it, um, I mean, you have a, a lot of room there to go in whatever direction you want to. One of the things I'm, I'm really interested in, though, and I'd like to get Miss uh, Scherzarko into the conversation some, I wanted to ask if you had uh, uh, how your training as an actress leads into this voice work, and have you ever done voice work before? Um, I actually, I had never done voice work before but it it was sort of a dream of mine it's always been one of my like childhood pet dreams to um to do audiobooks or voiceover and so when Gabrielle approached me and asked me if I'd be interested um, and because I'm also a huge sci-fi nerd I was like yes absolutely um and it's been interesting it because a lot in a lot of ways I've had to play against my instincts um, coming from a theater background, just because, you know, there, there is a fundamental difference between, you know, projecting and speaking words for a 200 house audience and then just like talking into a microphone. So, but I think fundamentally, especially for the character of Minkowski, a lot, a lot of, um, my vocal training has come in handy because she's a very, rigid and sort of, um, not, she, she's, she speaks in a very, like, succinct timber, I would say. And, um, and so I think being aware of how I'm using my voice, even though I'm trying to tone, tone that down (laughs) more often than play it up, um, it's been, it's been an interesting balance. And, um, Definitely a challenge for me to, to switch my brain from like very big to very small. Sir Valenti, you play both the role of Hilbert and Eiffel. How is it playing two characters, uh, technically? How do you pull that off? Oh, it's the most fun. And <laughs> as, uh, as Gabrielle will remember, I was vying for, uh, for Hira's part as well. Um, but, uh, but honestly, it, it's, as a uh, a voiceover actor, because I, I honest I never really got much training in way of theater or, or even acting for film. Um, I do commercial voiceover acting, and and so I don't really get to do much more than two voices uh, most of the time. Either 
you know, sort of like super syrupy retail, like, you know, buy the most disgusting sandwich you'll never eat. And, uh, or like, like that sort of low, flat and cool, like branded stuff of like the most expensive car you'll never afford. And so it's really fun to be able to do accents, which I love doing as a kid and, and, you know, getting to break out into sort of weird voices and, and even with, uh, you know, with Eiffel, like sort of just like out there shrill screaming, <laughs> like, Stuff that you can't do when you're trying to sell something. Um, so, uh, so it's been fun. And, and as far as switching back and forth, I mean, it really varies on the content or the time of day that we're recording. <laughs> um, we've done both. Uh, like somebody will pick up Hilbert lines while I do Eiffel so I can focus on that. And, and then we'll switch. And then we've also done where I do both in real time. Uh, back and forth, and it's me talking to myself. Um, I think the first time that we we gave that a shot was when we literally had 30 minutes to finish yeah. recording, like, 50% of an episode. Uh, I think it was episode... I think it was, I think it was five. Five? Cig- yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the it was cigarette candy, where it, it was the bottle episode, where it was basically me talking to myself. And uh, I think Emma had to run. Yeah, and we had leave. like we had very little time left in the studio, and uh, and so we just went for it, and it ended up I think working out pretty well. And I think that as time has gone on, I've gotten a better feel for Hilbert's voice, um, and dis- is particularly distinguishing it from Eiffel's, because as you know, as much as a Russian accent will cover up that it's the same dude. It only does so much, so uh, so making sure that I keep Hilbert in the little lower register so that Eiffel can have his distinctive, like, shrill flair um, has been something that I've only learned, you know, to, to do more justice over time. So, yeah, that's something that I did notice. I'm not sure where in season one, but I kind of, I think that one of the big breakthroughs was, like, when Eiffel gets upset or irritated or in any way extreme, his voice goes higher. But then when Hilbert has that happen to him, his voice goes lower. Like, you know, Hilbert's exclamations go lower, whereas Eiffel's go higher. And that was something that I was like, yeah, that was a big, big breakthrough, I think, in terms of portraying the two. Sure. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think some people would be surprised to find that 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 one actor plays both characters. They are pretty distinct. Well, and then you get the you get the picture of the character in your head. And when I went to your website and saw what you actually looked like, I thought this doesn't look anything like the the voice. And that was something I loved in the documentary. Uh, I know that voice, which is all about voice acting. And when you see the people behind the voice, it really is shocking. Yeah. Sure. It's wild. I'm curious. Yeah. Uh, how, how do you see Eiffel and Hilbert? Uh, Eiffel, tall, thin Hilbert. I see is very short and stout. Looks like Milan Moomin. Big, big round shoulders, uh, very uh, Russian Germanic. Do you, uh, Mr. Jarko, when you're in the uh, sort of studio with Zach and you have to interact with both characters, do you picture him differently or do you see him differently? Because you have to deal with him in different ways. Yeah, I remember there was one. Like when we were recording the ep- the episode, I think that was just released, where, or it might have been two episodes ago, that um, where Minkowski is threatening first Hilbert, she's pointing the gun at Hilbert, and then she's pointing the gun at Eiffel, and I, I remember like I was I was like fake holding a gun and just holding it at Zach, and then and then I like had this moment where I had to switch, and I was like. Still pointing it at Zach, but had, but with different intention. Um, yeah, I would, I would, so I would say that, um, I don't, I don't have a, like a distinct picture in my brain of them being different, but it does help to have Zach there in the studio. Luckily, Zach and I have always been able to be in the studio together recording. Um, so that has been great for me. Um, so there's definitely a difference if I look over at Zach and he's Eiffel, and if I look over at Zach and he's Hilbert, then I can react and respond accordingly. Sure. And logistically, I don't know if you're aware that, like, most of the rest of the talent, like, the other three actor, two actors, uh, are, um, out of state. Uh, we're, we're based in New York. Gabrielle himself only recently, uh, 
migrated here by way of Los Angeles. So it's been an interesting sort of experiment in the future today in Skyping in other actors and, yeah. and recording, you know, people in Boston and in L.A. and sort of patching it all together in the back end. But I think Gabrielle will tell you that if Emma and I weren't in the same city, it would be a problem. Yeah. 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 A lot of people aren't aware, yeah, that Michaela Sweet that plays Hira has actually never been in the same room as any of us for any of Wolf 359. No. We have been in the same room in real life yeah. at one point <laughs> We in do time. know each other. We did go to college yeah. together. <laughs> actually, but, Michaela and I even went to high school together, but oh, that's wow. another story. <laughs> but yeah, but I think that the reason why that works is because these are kind of characters that are either calling into the station or not physically there. I yeah. think that if you two weren't in the same room that might get to be a little too many degrees of disassociation. Yeah. yeah. Well, and also, uh, Michaela's character is a, an AI and doesn't really have a bodily form, so maybe some somehow that helps. It's exactly. super it's, fitting. It's actually kind of perfect. And sometimes, sometimes we don't know what's up with Michaela's computer, but whenever she Skypes in, she, her voice kind of glitches the way that... <laughs> Gabrielle has put the filter on her voice to glitch in the episodes. It's very uncanny. It's <laughs> And then, like, a week later, I'm sitting in my computer trying to get it to sound that way, and yeah. it's not quite as good yeah. as yeah. the natural interference from Skype. It's terrible. Uh, yeah, that's, a nice, that's one of those little touches that, that elevate the show, I think. Who does all the Foley work for the show, adding in all those sound effects or even just recording all of them? Almost all the sound effects are either bought or licensed from media marketplace websites like Pond5, or they just come via the generosity of people that put Creative Commons content up on free sound. Um, I think that one of the big things this season was that we actually finally recorded a sound effect in episode two of this season with the Apple. <gasps> I think that was the first time ever that we actually recorded something ourselves when Minkowski was eating an apple. Yeah, I, um, I brought in an apple and I drove our audio engineer crazy. With all the munching. <laughs> yeah, with all and the, the munching and the... <laughs> but yeah, all, almost any other sound effect we have is bought from different places online and just kind of licensed from actual professionals that know how to do their job. Because that's something where I would be completely out of my depth. But you put them into the show. Yeah, I do the sound editing once I have them. Yeah, Gabrielle has been a uh, major trooper slash savant in picking up a Adobe... What is it? Adobe... Uh, audition. Audition. And uh, in as little as 24 hours... 48 Hours has cut together a 20-minute episode? It's never been that terrible. <laughs> 72 Hours has sometimes... some. It, it's sometimes been close to that bad, but no. It has never quite been as much of a rush as 48 Hours. Um, but I mean, but it's one of those things where back in the old days of radio when they were producing shows like Quiet Please, those guys would write, record, and produce an episode in five days. Like, from the first draft of the script to the finished product, they would all be done in five days. So, I sometimes feel like this process where we're just, like, constantly up against the wall with, like, new scripts and rehearsal and recording and editing, sometimes it approximates, like, that level of, like, it just needs to be so fast because, you know, the production turnaround with radio is so small. Yeah. So how many episodes are you working on at any one time? Just to give you a sense, right now I'm editing an episode that comes out this Friday. Um, when we're done talking to you, we're going to talk about rehearsal that we're doing later this week for the next two episodes. And then later tonight, I'm going to go work on the outline for the next two episodes. So there's always kind of something in editing, something being rehearsed, and something being written at pretty much any given time. It's like between two to five episodes in the pot yeah, on the table at any given moment. Where do you see uh, the future for Wolf 359? Is it something you'd like to adapt later, or do you prefer it in its, its own space here as a unique serialized podcast? 
Obviously, the next superhero blockbuster movie. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'd love to see Minkowski, you know, going out on a tether and pulling back in, you know, the hapless Eiffel. I, I'm not going to lie. I would love to do that. <laughs> if Marvel Studios wants yeah. to give us a phone call. We, we did We did go to the same school as Joss Whedon. So, That's true. We're yeah. waiting by the phone, yeah. Joss. <laughs> um... In all seriousness, <laughs> as much as we would like to take this to another medium, it's funny because Wolf 359 was very much designed to be a radio play, and it's very much designed to be something where you are putting in a lot of the visuals and a lot of the plot yourself, and there's just a lot of details like, you know, the fact that even after you know, going on 17 episodes now, we don't have a completely clear idea of what the station looks like. You know, in a new, in any new given episode, a character can just kind of open a door that has never been there before, and there's a new room in the station, because things haven't been nailed down by a visual. There's never kind of been, like, a map that gives you a sense of everything in the station. A lot of it is very much in flux by design, so, I don't know. I'm very, very happy to be continuing with the show. I'm very, very happy to be working with some new actors. I'm very excited about some of the stories that are coming up. And if there's an opportunity to adapt it into another medium, I think it would be a fascinating challenge. Yeah, I think as much as we joke about, you know, the, the movies and web series uh, and video games in our future, mm-hmm. I think we we all feel like, sort of blessed with this medium and, yeah. and, and to be working in a time where podcast, uh, listening is, is just on the, on the upswing is super cool. Well, we hope to be able to turn on, um, new listeners to your program. We've been talking about it to our students and hopefully you're seeing an uptick in downloads of Wolf 359. Oh, thank you guys so much. Thank you so much. Really appreciate really it. Really appreciate that. And that explains uh, a lot. Yeah. Actually, it does. Yeah. We've been seeing, uh, definitely seeing growth on our end, which has been so exciting and rewarding as, as a creative team. Yeah, especially when you put as much effort into it as you guys do, obviously. Um, are you working on any other projects you'd like to talk about or? Um, well, actually, all, all three of us are working on a, a different podcast series that's going to be coming going to be released soon they just they just dropped a trailer last week yeah it's called anthology and um it's based uh basically it's short the idea is short stories um pre-gothic yeah it's like creative common short stories a little bit of poe to give you a sense you know that kind of like yeah i i recorded the yellow wallpaper by uh charlotte perkins gilman yeah um, little mystery, horror, suspense. Oh, that's an awesome story. <laughs> that is an awesome story. Yeah, I, I'm very happy with it. I'm like, really excited to hear the full, the fully finished product. Um, and then for that, Gabrielle and I are actually working on adapting a story by Horacio Quiroga into, um, into a, a really hearkening back to like, the golden age and radio drama in this one. Yeah, kind of a classic radio horror piece, which yeah. we're very excited about. Yeah. So, um, we'll we'll keep you posted, let you know when that's released. But um, yeah, anthology podcast. Yeah. And that'll get carried on iTunes? Yep. Yeah. That's right. It's it's already discoverable. Yeah, I think the trailer is, is already up. Yeah, the trailer is up on iTunes, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Okay, um, well, I think, uh, if you want to give us your Twitter addresses or where we can see more of Wolf 359. Sure. Yeah, the, I, the only other side project that, uh, is currently on pause, but will have a new life is, uh, a sock puppet how-to <laughs> web series that, uh, that I created, um, called, uh, Just the Tips with Ruffles. Anyway, that's on YouTube. Um, it's weird. That's on YouTube? Yeah, that's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. Just the tips. It's great. Uh, If you go to ruffles.tv, that's, that's the, uh, it'll bring you straight to the YouTube, which I think is like youtube.com slash ruffles tips. But, uh, anyway. (laughs) 
Um, but as far as Wolf 359 stuff, uh, we've got Twitter at Wolf 359 Radio. We've got Tumblr at Wolf 359 Radio.tumblr.com. And, uh, uh, what, what else we got? Well, the website, uh, which is gorgeously updated by, uh, by Gabrielle's Squarespace Foo, um, uh, at wolf359.fm. Correct. And, uh... As of this weekend, we have a TV Tropes page. Oh, right. Yeah. Where can we see that? That is at a very odd and complicated, uh, URL. But if you go to TV Tropes and look up on their search bar, Wolf359, you will be able to find it. And you said you have a new episode of Wolf coming out this Friday? Coming out this Friday, March 27th. Excellent. So our listeners who are listening to this episode right now, they can actually go right over to wolf359.fm and download the newest episode. All right. Hey, uh, thanks a lot, guys, for uh, giving us this interview. We really appreciate it. No, thank you, guys. This was great. It's a pleasure. Thank you. All right. So that was the good stuff. It's our second interview. What do you think, uh... Mr. Two Frames? I liked it. I, I thought they had a lot of good stuff to say, and the way they do their podcast is very different from the way we've set up our show. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, well, I mean, aside from the professional equipment that we have now, they are, they are definitely much, um, they have a much higher production value, I guess. Oh, and the amount of prep that they're going to have to do for their show versus what we have to do for ours. It's just night and day. Right. And, it's just the two of us working in tangent where, what, they've got four or five of them all working together? Right, and I don't have to write out words for you. <laughs> you should sometimes with the way I trip over my tongue. One of the things I really like about the show is the mixture of absurdist comedy and uh, tension. And I like uh, how they scripted it in a sort of a, of a way that it can go in multiple tones. And there always seems to be, mm, a, yeah, it's, it seems like there's uh, an ability, a, a free form ability in the show that allows for them to be a little bit darker, I think, than they originally wanted to be. And it can be funny at times, it can be uh, suspenseful at times. I like that they seem to be getting away from just having one actor talking at a time. Mm-hmm. There seemed to be a lot of scenes at the beginning of this where it was just one character narrating. I know that they were using the trope of recording these logs. Yeah. I think they, they must have found that too limiting. Yeah. Now they're having a lot more conversations with all three characters. Those are the scenes that work the best. Yeah. My I favorite find. show was the one where they, they each get a chance at the mic or they each get a chance to voice their own, um, psychological misgivings about the mission and, I mean, they do go into some of those deeper themes of isolation and, mm-hmm. um, you know, how would you behave in certain situations? So it's not just all humor. It's not just all sort of absurdist. And, um, I mean, there are some silly things. I found myself in the first mm, 10 episodes just kind of laughing out loud <laughs> as I was walking the dogs. There was always one good, like, ha! After something happens, like uh, the clip that we played at the beginning of the show, where he, the Minkowski character is going to come rescue him, and he, she goes, "I'm, I'm going to put on my, uh, my space suit and get out there and rescue." And he goes, "Is that that jetpack thingy?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that made me laugh. There's always there was something like that. There was a mini episode that they put out too, um, about he was answering questions from school children. <laughs> They're asking if the space suit was itchy. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in that. So, yeah, well, yeah, they even start that one off by saying, "Hey, uh, do do you talk to your family?" <laughs> That's a stupid question. <laughs> yeah, it sounded real for that character, that Eiffel character, and they've done a pretty good job of creating those those different characters. Each of them, Minkowski's very stern, and um, she's the hero, and then Hilbert has that sort of evil tension. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like Hera a lot. She was actually my favorite character. <laughs> No, I mean, hopefully she'll her personality will come back. It's going to be interesting to see where they go with the show from here. Do you think they ever get off the space station? Maybe go land on a planet or something? I don't know. I don't know. Um, 
they can do anything they want now, though. They mm-hmm. can intro- They've already introduced a new character, so they could always introduce new. Can grow and grow and grow, and we wish them the best. And we want you to go check them out. Um, you can go to iTunes and download their stuff. They're also on, as they mentioned, on Wolf359.fm. But if you go to iTunes, what else should you do, Mister Two Frames? You should write a review for our show. That's Reviews right. are the best way to help our show grow and to reach new listeners. We're stuck at 33. We're stuck at 33 ratings and reviews. So yep. if you can go write a couple of kind words for our show, we would be ever appreciative. And if we run into you on the street, I think uh, I speak for the L train when I say we would both be willing to offer you a fist bump. <laughs> yeah. If you show us your on your iPhone, you can show us your review. One free fist bump for each review. <laughs> uh, I, I'll even give one fist bump per star. If they give us one star, then I'll give them a fist bump. But I'm going to do it to their face. <laughs> so uh, where else can they reach us? Uh, they can find us on the Twitter, at The Laugh Podcast. Mm-hmm. And we're even on the Facebook at facebook.com slash The Laugh Podcast. So um, go do all that stuff. Check us out. Um, looking forward to next week, but we don't really know what we're going to be talking about. Um, so whatever new release is coming out, we'll talk about that on the We Laugh. We should do a review of WrestleMania 31. You can talk to us about WrestleMania 31. I can? Sure. Uh, <sighs> we'll give you 37 seconds. Deal. We'll, okay. <laughs> so, uh, for Mr. Two Frames over there. It's been a pleasure. I I'm, can't wait till next week. I'm the L-Trade. Pox at Bonham, everybody. There be dragons. Podcast gold. We are now in the gold zone. All right. All right. Wait a minute. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff. (laughs) Welcome to the good stuff. Ooh, that's spiked. Welcome to the good stuff, the live podcast. I'm one of two co-hosts, the L Train. With me today is Mr. Two Frames Bull. How are you, sir? Doing well. Doing well. What you heard at the beginning of the story of the damn I'm spiking, aren't I? Let's just Let's turn you down just start a little, little bit. bit, just a little. I don't want to get turned down too much. Not man. too much, but you 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 really like that microphone. You mm. caress it. <laughs> All right, so here we go. Yeah. <laughs>